You already know what it is. It's the Vince in the Bay podcast. My guest this episode is Jesse Irwin, head of security at Tendermint. This interview is a part of a series of episodes conducted during the 2018 RSA Security Conference, which was held here in the Bay Area in San Francisco back in April. And Jesse was in town then to present two talks, one at RSA, Cracking the Security Communications Code, Talk About Security Without FUD, and she also did a talk at Our SA, which is O-U-R-S-A, and that was a talk entitled building your own old lady gang i caught up with jesse and spoke with her about security and her old lady gang we're at rsa 2018 i'm with jesse irwin she is head of security at tendermint where she excels in translating complex cybersecurity problems into relatable terms and is responsible for developing, maintaining, and delivering comprehensive security strategy that supports and enables the needs of her organization and its people. That's one sentence. Yeah, it's a long sentence. But Holy cow. I do a lot of stuff, and it was very important for me to put in there that I do stuff for people. You totally do stuff for people, apparently. Yeah, and not only that... Your prior role, you worked to solve security obstacles for non-expert users as a strategic advisor, security executive, and former security empress mm-hmm. at 1Password. Uh, I assume you're still a security empress, just not at 1Password. If you've seen the amount of policy that I have recently written, yes, I am hoping that I'm a benevolent security empress. Yeah. Sometimes I throw a tantrum and lock people out. If they don't have their two-factor turned on. <clears throat> and you believe that people should not have have to be experts in technology, security, or privacy to be safe online. I have an issue with that. Okay. I agree in theory with Come you. Come at me. I, I, agree with, I agree with you in theory, but I think we're at a point now where everybody has to think like a security professional. You know, it's it's the it's the difference between being a mechanic and being able to change your open the hood and change your oil or whatever. I I can see that. I think the system we have right now, my belief is that people shouldn't have to become experts in auditing code and figuring out threat models and all of these other things. Yeah. I want them to be smart. I want them to be savvy. I don't think that they need to spend just as much time as they spend at work during the week to be good and to get ahead of this stuff. And the reality um, is that right now, there is so much risk externalized to people. There are so many, you should just do X comments that fit in with security. Uh, Our poor users basically are doing the equivalent of having to do their own research and independent study in cybersecurity, like it's a college class, um, just to make sure that all of their permissions and all of their passwords and all of their configurations are set the right way. That's not okay. And I don't think they should have to do that. I don't think that people should have to spend more time and have more hustle for protecting themselves than the defenders doing the work or the people building the products that have the security issues in them in the first place. So have you developed some sort of framework to, to you know, implement and, and, and help train average users? I think I've, I've 
because I follow you on Twitter, and I think I remember you commenting once about how there's a group of uh, old ladies that you I hang have out an with. Old lady gang, yeah. Yeah, and you and you you, you kind of tutor them on yeah work on the inter- work online and try to be safe. I don't know that it's necessarily um, like framework fancy, but I have a way that I from from having been like the security evangelist and the security teacher for such a long time. I have a way that I engage that's completely mm-hmm. different than what I see happening with most other people in the world. I could probably write it down. The problem is this. If I write a blog post or I write a framework, lots of people will distribute it around. No one will actually read it and implement it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I am giving people advice to be smarter about privacy and security, and part of what I tell them is to use more critical thinking about what they trust on the internet, the answer is probably not a link to a blog post I wrote. And one blog post I write is not going to be the answer to helping someone fundamentally do something that's a, a change in a lifestyle. Because that's at the core of what we do, especially when you apply it to personal life. Security is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It is setting rules in advance. There's a lot of this I will talk about tomorrow um, at RSA, the side, our essay, (laughs) not this one. And and before you get into it, what's the title of your talk? Uh, Defense in Depth, Building an Old Lady Gang. That's the one tomorrow. So something I realized was... um, there are people on this planet who are not going to approach every problem with technology first. So why should I talk to them about security when technology is 5% of their life or 1% of their life um, from a technology aspect when I can look at all kinds of other things that have been going on on the planet for not billions of years, but basically since we started living in in settlements and colonies and growing food and crops. And there was security concerns when we were like roaming, roaming around the plains and hunting and gathering. Mm-hmm. Like how do you secure your cave? Right. Like you got to put a big boulder in front of it or something. But then if you put the big boulder in it and something catches on fire, like what's your disaster recovery exactly. plan from the fire? Totally. These are all things that we've had in our brain. And they're, they're when it's when it's likened to survival, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about this, but when we're like, oh, yeah, let's do this on a computer, it's a nightmare because we don't know anything about that. It's all abstract. It's not tangible. You can't touch it. And especially when I think about a framework, like if it's a framework, the secret is talk about security without talking about computers. Mm -hmm. When you're hanging out with these ladies, like what's like an example of something that you would I have a favorite. Um, one of the biggest problems we had, and this was well before we started talking about password managers, sorry guys, the technology was like fifth on the list, um, was how to handle those uh, tech scammer calls. People know what con artistry and scams look like in the real world. They don't always have a good way to get out of that situation because maybe if you're a little bit older, it takes you a little bit longer to realize that that's what's going on. Or um, on the other hand, if you're using a computer, you don't know what that that con artist is going to look like on your screen. You don't know if it's an email, if it's an ad, if it's a something else. So one of the first things we really started talking about was, you know, how do I keep those damn robocalls? out of my phone how do I how do they get my information 
And how do I not fall for whatever they're doing? And that's actually something that takes four or five different actions to solve. That's not a just use X problem. Um, Giving people tools to handle social engineering is stuff like uh, having a script. Like, oh, I let my husband deal with that. Bye. But then never answering the phone again when the number comes up. Or knowing how to use a call blocking app and putting the numbers in there later. Knowing how to do things like take your phone number off of a place on the internet where you didn't know it was public. That's not all intuitive stuff. And some older people think that because, you know, they're not on the internet the way that their kids are, they're not exposed. And really, you know, showing them, hey, like, let's uh, let's fire up the computer and see what we can find out about ourselves today. Yeah. And then saying, hey. Let's talk about how if someone has this, they can't get to you. What's the reaction when when you take them online and you take them to a site and there's like their their address history and all their you know all the places they've lived, all the, it was, the jobs they have? Do like do they get freaked out at first or? It's a mix, right? It wasn't that I approached my neighbors and said, I'm going to scare the shit out of you today. It was, okay, we're going to do something and it's going to feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And the reason it feels uncomfortable is because this is probably something you've never thought about and it wasn't your job to think about it anyway. Now, let's go find this stuff. Let's go hunt it down. And I'll show you some tricks for how to use a search operator. And generally, some of these women were totally amazed. Like, how did they get that? Oh, my God. And other women were like, one woman said something like, oh, my God, I found my divorce records. I didn't want anybody to know that I was married to that. Well, you know. Uh And now it's out here on the Internet. And I was like, well, you know, at least it's kind of hard to find. Like, look at how long it took you to find it. She's like, "My, my neighbor was just like, damn it. I got to erase him from the internet too. This is going to take a while. <laughs> but it, on one hand, it was like a complete and utter disbelief at how many places had the data and, it, and that it was duplicated and it was so readily available. And on the other hand, it was kind of like, oh, well, no wonder my phone rings all day long. I've always wondered. There was a mix of like of of taking care of that curiosity. But the experience sometimes is uncomfortable when you have to do cleanup. We can't remove all bad feelings from it. It's mm-hmm. just about it's about framing and putting those feelings into a context that's workable and it doesn't become some obstacle where people can't function or they don't want to engage in those bad feelings anymore. So they just avoid the process. It's more about resilience than anything. Um. We, we were just talking before we started here, and you were saying you have an issue with the word security. What's your beef with the word security? Well, it comes up sometimes in this way that's just not okay. Um, there are conversations you can jump into on Twitter. I, rec- I, I recommend no one do that, actually. Um, don't tweet. It's, it's, that's the best don't advice I can give. But... Um, People typically bring up the word security and they do it in this way where they mean to shut stuff down. Something's not secure enough or that's not secure at all. We're all going to get destroyed. Mm-hmm. And then whatever whatever the movement forward was supposed to be, whether it's thinking about changing the way you manage your home alarm or you are 
potentially wiring up your doorbells and fancy things um, so that you can access them when you're not home. The word security comes up, but not always in the right way. And then sometimes at work, someone might come up with a plan, especially if it's code plan, and say, oh, that's not secure. And then boom, you know, nobody ever had a set of requirements that they were talking about, but they opportunistically use that word security as a way to shut something down. I cannot stand this more than anything else on the planet. If you look at security as a way to shut things down, you're abusing it in a lot of ways because you're using security to to be a controlling factor. I don't think security is about control at all. I think security is about empowerment. Maybe we, instead of being the team that says no or the expert that says no to everything, that it shouldn't exist and it's a stupid idea, maybe we just figure out how to say yes in the right way. Maybe instead of being the blocker and, and watching other people say, oh, but security, that's why we're not doing this. Nah, we could figure it out. There are some fun challenges to solve. There are some technologies that maybe are more risky than others, but we can find good ways for people to do things no matter what. That's not, that's not about control. That's about empowerment. It's our job to make sure the cool stuff happens, not keep the cool stuff from happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, another term that, you, that you're about to introduce me to is feelings management. Oh, yes. We talked about feelings management, actually. Um, I was describing to you how scary it can be for someone who's never Googled themselves to find information that they didn't think would be on the Internet, maybe because they didn't use the Internet before in that way. Um, most of security, 85% of it is really about helping people manage feelings. And right now, when you look at the market and you look at the industry and you look at the jobs we have, most of the feelings we have to help people manage are scary. And we could do a way better job at that. If we look at the scary stuff and we say, okay, we can switch the incentives around. We can reframe the problem so that it's approachable instead of scary. We are effectively managing that fear piece out that's very um, paralyzing. And then we can get onto what the real problem is. And most times when I joke about feelings management, the thing I have to do as a security person has nothing to do with security stuff. I'm not dealing with permissions and patching and encryption and whatever. It's actually there's a conflict over in a corner somewhere else, and that conflict has to get resolved, and people have to feel like their issue has been heard before you can do the security work involved. It's way more about knowing how to effectively march right through ambiguity and let everyone feel like they've had their share of transparency and ground truth and just get to damn work. Okay, another one that I'm... Uh really interested in another term i'd love to uh, learn about is performative opsec what is performative opsec okay so you'll have to bear with me because when i was in college and well before i studied art history and i know good performance art when i see it i also know bad performance art when i see it but when you hear people talk about security especially practitioners, and especially a certain kind of practitioner or expert, 
they talk about their personal security setup. I love this because there is this thing that happens where people start describing these intricate systems and and all of these layers and these things that they've used and that's how they stay secure for hackers. That's fascinating because I wonder sometimes if half of what we do as an industry and half of what we do as individuals is some sort of play acting like we're spies. Yeah. And that's where the performative OPSEC comes in. Where when you know that there's some like contestable thing like air gapping that people get very excited about and someone's like, oh, yes, I have seven air gaps in my home network. It's like, well, what are you doing on that thing? I don't think you've got some router O'Day hanging out in there. You don't look like the NSA type. So like, was this just a personal project? Good thing you know how to do that. That's great. You can you can perform this at a very high level. How do we translate that into into stuff we expect real people to do? Because exactly. I sure as hell don't expect the ladies down the street for me to figure out how to put their medical devices behind NAT by themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they'd know how to get to a command line without a friendly guide. And that's okay. <laughs> I just I think about this stuff all the time because when we talk about what the average person needs to do, we're not really threat modeling for them as security professionals enough. We threat model for us. So what I'm going to tell someone to do to protect themselves is fundamentally centered on them with my old lady gang, for example, with the kids that I've worked with. I need to understand what they're doing and what's important to them when they use technology. And then I need to design security that doesn't get in the way of that. And you know what? Most of the rules for the average person look awfully similar to stuff that we should be doing at work. So maybe if we improve what the average person knows, we also improve the stuff we're doing at work too. Who knows? Maybe we need some more research into that area. Except there's no firmware to rewrite. There are no wires to solder onto people. So I don't know if it'll be sexy enough research for lots of people to want to do. What are some other things that, that, that bother you? You know, I I hate it when things always get approached from a negative point of view. And maybe this is me very personally. But when we hear stories about only 10% of people on the internet are using two-factor authentication, I don't know. Like, that sounds kind of cool to me that it's not 1% or 5%. Like, 10% are, are using it. Cool. Tell me how. Tell me how we can figure out what worked so we can make it 10 more percent. Low numbers, low adherence, that's an opportunity to learn. And there are very few problems on this planet that cannot be solved by lots of learning on being dedicated to, to finding a way to do something better. We need to be so much better at looking for opportunities for tiny wins and celebrating those tiny wins because a year of tiny things can add up to 10 years of amazing things if we know how to look at it. I hear so much about people being burned out or I hear so much about people hating users and they're so stupid and they're awful. You know, that's basically been the story for a really long time. Maybe we should just try something new if what's what's been going on for 30, 40 years isn't working. I don't think it hurts us to be cautiously optimistic or to even try to be more realistic instead of just saying everything's too hard and it's awful and it's it's broken i like to be cautiously pessimistic um 
What are some things that you're encouraged by? There are a few things I get really excited about. Um, We have seen all kinds of places that are now talking about security and privacy, but they don't do it in the technical words that we use. If you pick up an advice column lately and you get a really woke advice column writer, there's great advice about how to protect your privacy, Uh how to go through the etiquette of all of these weird technology conversations that happen. We're starting to recognize and identify and talk about the things that are potentially problems that are hard to solve. And we're getting more people thinking in the right direction. There's energy and people are realizing. It takes a long time to do that. When you watch TV, not every show that talks about technology is a complete and total tire fire. We actually have experts who are engaging with the people who write about popular culture and who say, hey, wait a second, maybe you shouldn't talk about privacy that way. Maybe you shouldn't present security in that way and always show it as failing. Show it as working. Show the attacker have to work harder. I get excited when that happens because it restores a little bit of balance and I think good karma to the universe. Maybe I'm wrong. But I really like it when we have good conversations about all of these squicky human things that aren't part of the conversation we have when we're talking about PGP and using Go and sandboxing and encryption and all the other fancy things that we consider security. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for spending time with me and, and sharing sharing all that with me. Um, how? Well, first of all, why do you go with a Y? Why not an IE? The real story to this is that when I was in second grade, well, there were seven Jessicas in my class in second grade, and my teacher was going to try to number us, and I was number two. And I said, absolutely not. I am no one's number two. I just said, I need to change my name right now, and I don't like the way the I and the E look. It's not balanced enough, and I, when I learn cursive, it won't be pretty. So I'm going to do a Y. Cool. And uh, Jesse with a Y. How can we find you on the internet? I'd say the easiest thing to do, um, sometimes I say things on Twitter, sometimes I don't, but if I have something important to say, it usually bubbles up there. And what's, so what's your Twitter? Jessiesaurus Rex, because I am a Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> um, and that is also the URL for my blog, which does not get updated enough because I have a job. And I am the technical lead for security at my company. But sometimes I write about things like password managers and old lady kings. Jesse Soros Rex on Twitter. And also that's your blog. That's my right? blog. Well, thank you so much. And um, oh, and, and what's your talk again? You, you have two talks? I have two talks. My main talk that I'm giving is a peer-to-peer session. And it is basically about communicating security without FUD. Basically, how to walk into a conversation and talk about the issue at hand without scaring the crap out of people and also in a way that brings more people to the table instead of having everyone confused and crazy and in a mood where they decide they want to say, well, because of security, we can't do this. And and really quick, the other the other talk you're doing, the one at our essay tomorrow the security advocates group is defense in depth building your old lady gang because we all need old lady gangs old ladies who like strong crypto we need them hell and yeah i'm telling you when grandma figures out that she can be smarter than some script kitty on the internet who knows how to download a broken you know a broken into password database 
grandma's going to tell everybody she knows. And that's how we, that's how we win. We get grandma on board. That's awesome. She'll make password cookies. I'm just saying. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vince in the Bay podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Check out my bloggity blog at vincentthebay.com and hit me up on Twitter at Vince in the Bay. Until next time, ciao.